HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Hi there, this is Gastronomica, a Heritage Radio Network podcast. I'm your host for today, Krishnandu Ray. This series is produced in collaboration with Gastronomica, the Journal of Food Studies. Gastronomica's Fall 2022 issue is now available online. Uh, join us as we talk with authors over the coming weeks. Our guest today is Ishita Day. Uh, she is an assistant professor in the Department of Sociology at South Asian University in India. Her research interest lies at the intersection of food, labor, and migration. Uh, thank you for joining us, Ishita, and welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so let's start right away with uh, the title of your piece. Uh, it is... Uh, it has a, a place name and a thing. And the first title of your article says, Who Owns Bogurer Doi? Okay. So could you explain to our audience what is Doi and where is Bogur? Okay. Uh, so Doi is the Bangla word for fermented milk dish. Uh, and I'm calling it a milk dish because it can be used uh, to marinate, uh, you know, meat, uh, as well as it is a sweet dish uh, as well, right? So, doi is the Bangla word uh, for yogurt. And both the words, as I mentioned in the article, yogurt and curd are used interchangeably. It is primarily made from uh, cow milk uh, in the part that I'm talking about. And bogura, happens uh, to be the, you know, Bogura is popularly known as the gateway to the northern part of Bangladesh. Uh, once upon a time, it was part of the Buddhist sacred landscape. And today, uh, Bogura is both a district under the Rajshahi division, uh, because in Bangladesh, the administrative division goes, you know, the state, then there are divisions, and then there are districts and sub-districts. So there are, uh, Bogura is both a district as well as a town. 
and where i uh, did my field work bogurar doi is associated mostly with uh, two sub districts under the bogura district sherpur and bogura shadur uh, so uh, bogurar doi uh, in other words is the doi the yogurt that is produced in sweet shops and doi workshops in sherpur and bogura shadur i see and so i was wrong so I, it's not bogur it is bogura and i that was my mistake uh, and so it's bogura doi and this is part of would it be right to say uh, a northern bangladesh you were saying right yes it's part of the northern bangladesh rajshahi division so it's borders if you if if you uh, see bangladesh from uh, you know if you see like a unified map it's almost like the other side of murshidabad yeah I from see. the west bengal side you know and and given my experience because the first half of my life i grew up in india uh if you're in south asia sometimes it is the toughest thing to cross those borders like from to go from india to pakistan or pakistan to india similarly from bangladesh to india india to bangladesh so let's launch first into some of the challenges of your field work uh was it painfully bureaucratic to get the permissions to do the field work oh <laughs> yeah that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a interesting and and a, and, a, and a tricky question because let me start with a personal anecdote that when i first began this project uh, as you are aware it was mostly focused on west bengal and when i used to go to do field work in this particular one of the bordering districts of west bengal often you know my local often my co-passengers in this local train was used to tease me that you know which sweet would taste better so in 2017 which meaning I, uh, which which meaning which side of the border is that what it is yes yes okay yes. i see aha uh-huh. which side you know like why don't you just go up because you know like the train that i used to take to krishnanagar um uh, uh, you know actually coincided at at a particular station it used to halt and then the train that connected uh sialda uh to uh, that train that connected let's put it this way india to dhaka that used to go past by you know like few uh, there was a overlap of timings and uh, often my uh, you know co passengers used to tease and then i was like one day i will cross the border and you know uh, come back and tell you which part which you know sweets would taste better in 2017 when i started doing the field work uh, i think given the nature of um, uh, and as you're absolutely right that uh, i think uh, there are scholars uh, from india who have worked on bangladesh and like um, there are challenges but uh, one can navigate those challenges and i was extremely fortunate that uh, when i joined south asian university uh i think south asian university's unique role in the region as well as uh, rajshahi university uh, actually hosted me uh, and that kind of uh, facilitated my uh, uh, bureaucratic paperwork to do this study yes okay so uh, there's there's a uh, comparative sense between and i think you write in your article about a part and o part this side and that side of the of the border uh, and uh, could you explain to our audience a bit about the history the like the 20th century history of this border and how it has changed to get a sense of 
this uh, com competitive uh, cultural claim to having the best food and the best tasting food, including the best tasting uh, desserts, uh, including doi. Okay. So, um, you know, Bengal, if we, if, we, if we really, I use the word epar and opar, this side and that side, literally to uh, literally to imply two uh, two uh, you know uh, uh, geographical areas which are now uh, completely fractured after uh, three significant events, right? The 1905, uh, 1947, the partition of the subcontinent, and uh, 1971, the Liberation War, which uh, uh, you know uh, which actually uh, was instrumental in the creation of the newly independent nation state Bangladesh. Uh, what is important to remember is that, you know, when we talk about, uh, when we particularly uh, talk about cultural biographies of food, pro of any sort of a cultural biography in this part of the Eastern India, particularly around Bengal, it is very important to take into account, and which I also point in the article, to take into account uh, this historic shifts. Um, and the historic shifts primarily being the uh, migration that happened due to partition. Uh, what is most documented is how uh, but Hindu uh, families from uh, the then East Bengal migrated to India and settled in and around West Bengal, other parts. But there was also an, uh, you know, and this is where Rajshahi actually becomes interesting, Professor Ray, that, you know, uh, there were also families, because I have come across uh, in my fieldwork, uh, families who have migrated from Murshidabad, Muslim families who have migrated from Murshidabad and settled in and around Rajshahi, right? So uh, it was very, very important for me not to have this understanding of the making of sweets uh, only with this assumption of uh, of uh, you know of an understanding of a hindu confectioner uh, it was very important for me to bring into the question of caste class and religious dimension and the changes in ownership that has happened on both sides you know and this is why i use epar and opar epar is from my locational vantage point uh, my familial roots is that of West Bengal and my family has uh, not been displaced and I wanted to acknowledge and recognize that position of mine as well as, you know, and Epar and Opar are sort of emic words that are used uh, to recognize the border in our everyday lives. I see. Uh, very good. And you referenced three dates, uh, 1905, and 1947 and 1971. And 1905, could you just quickly sketch a line or two about what happened 1905 and then, of course, 1947, and you talked about 1971. Yeah, uh, by 1905, it's, uh, it's also the Rat, I'm, I'm referring particularly uh, to the Ratcliffe, uh, you know, line. Uh, and here, uh, let's put it this way, the, uh, the, you know, as far as the borders is concerned, you know, uh, I mean, there was a, sorry, 1905, uh, 
you have to edit this part 1905 you know uh, what i'm talking about is actually the partitioning of bengal into uh, the the internal partitioning of bengal you know that is what i'm referring to and that is under that is under british colonialism yes, for that for, is under for british our audience absolutely yeah. and, 19- and then, yeah is under lord cousin sorry yeah 1905 is under lord cousin and i think um, uh, if my dates are right it's around october 1905 you know uh, this partitioning kind of happened you know and uh, uh, the second 47 is the partitioning of the indian subcontinent that we are aware of and 71 is the liberation war you know perfect and and we'll get into uh, specifically the question uh, you posed uh, about uh hindu muslim uh and uh, gender and caste identities that are entangled in the making of a material object like doi but first let's um tell our audience um what does this doi taste like to you uh the doi uh bogura doi taste uh, immensely sweet you know and uh, it has a sort of a, uh, it has a similar texture like yogurt right if i may this thing but it's very creamy uh, so when you uh, when you really you know uh, dig into the doi when you get a first bite of the doi it it's really melts in your mouth it's very creamy in texture and it tastes extremely sweet because it's made from reduced uh, milk you know so that's the first thing that you know comes to my mind when i talk about uh, particularly bogura doi are there like an aromatics would you are aromatics added to it or it is basically the reduction of the milk that gives its aroma of course also from the milk itself it's a both the reduction of the milk but also uh, let's put it this way uh, uh during the winter months uh, many of the sweet shops at times they also add a very aromatic jaggery uh, which is extracted from the date palm that can also lend its own uh, nutty flavor you know like uh, smell profile yeah fantastic by the way did you uh, were you able to take some of those doi back to india or are the regulations stopping you from doing that um no i couldn't because i was doing field work in the summer months and it it's, it's it was a pity you know like uh, because doi uh, uh, you know and i must mention this to the audience is one of the fast selling items during the summer months because it's supposed to be you know like uh, light in texture and often served at the end of the meal uh, Uh, particularly in the summer months it's also aids in digestion these are some of the therapeutic properties people believe so i couldn't take it back you know that it's a pity it's a pity i see and it's it's also considered uh, uh in vernacular uh, notions also considered cooling right mm, yes uh, doi and and it's very important in the summer months now let's get get back you write um in the article that like all craft based occupations in south asia uh sweet making is deeply gendered and marked by caste and religious uh, ties and you already referenced that in your previous comment could you illustrate that uh in the case of bogure doi a little bit 
um when i say all craft based occupation one can you know one analogy you can from beyond the food world one can take also from weaving right is based on family uh, uh family family based labor and you know women labor is primarily invisibilized because the figure figure of the weaver that we have in mind is often a male weaver similarly to do with uh, with doi as well uh it is uh, as far as uh and this is where as far as doi is concerned doi primarily used to be made by a caste group known as the goalas uh the caste census historical records and gazetteers suggest that goalas uh you know there are certain surnames that got associated with goalas and in popular parlance one of the surnames is often used to refer to as the goalas as i write in the article the ghoshes but ghoshes can also this is where the caste dimension is a little tricky because their ghoshes the surname ghosh can be part of other caste groups can be used by other caste groups as well but in bangladesh if you today if you go and ask that you know what uh, uh, can you who is a ghosh the first thing that comes about there's a mythic status of craftsmanship to do with sweet making that is associated with the ghoshes as far as doi is concerned it is a sort of a family based division of labor where someone would you know milk the cow someone would you know set the milk but over a period of time we see a complete invisibilization of uh women uh particularly because someone would be have to boil the milk you know uh, at 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 uh, at uh, you know several junctures and i i also reference this uh, because in the article i reference this through a uh, through a literary reference that we find where uh, uh where we get where, where we come across proshunno gwalini and there are you know ngo reports also on bangladesh which talks about that you know women are a very important part of this industry but they have been invisibilized uh when because cattle rearing cannot be only uh, cattle rearing in most cases has to be a family based occupation because it's a very labor intensive pro- uh, process and uh, this is where i say like most craft based you know uh, uh, this is how, why i was arguing that like most craft based this thing uh, uh, you know products uh, when it comes to uh, doi making even here we see a sort of a gendered division of labor but we also where what we see is an invisibilization of women uh, as the doi crafts man you know like that, there is a sort of a gendering that happens here uh, and uh, what else are they doing for the women for instance one they are probably pre uh, uh, working the milk to be processed what else are they doing that may not be visible if you just buy the product uh if you just buy the i mean uh, they are an important part of an in, uh, of a supply chain where you know they will be helping in rearing of the cows right uh that is you know in feeding the in feeding the cows you know uh, and all of that that part of the job is taken care by women and um, uh, and this is something that we don't see because the person who comes to sell the milk is the man to the sweet mm. shops mm. right mm. so uh, yeah Okay, so uh, 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 I wanted to ask you. This is uh, I should have asked you earlier. Could you uh, give us, uh, including me uh, and our audience, a sense of the landscape 
uh, around Bogura? Uh, what do you, how far is it uh, from, uh, in some ways, the low flatlands, uh, the, uh, the delta region, and on the other end, it is capped by the mountains. So what are you seeing when you are in Bogura, when you get off the train? Okay. Uh, Bogura, if you uh, really, uh, you know, once you enter, you know, like, uh, let me put it this way, let me try and give you a sense of the landscape uh, from where I entered Bogura, you know, uh, like, bec- what you really see is that this is, this is one of the places where, uh, which has, uh, Bogura district, you know, has one of the, I mean, Bangladesh is a land of rivers, right? So there is uh, Korotaya River, there is Jomuna River, uh, there is Nagore, Bangali and Ichamuti. And the number of water bodies are, you know, uh, really, really high. One of the, I think, uh, uh, one of the important water bodies, uh, which uh, which is close to Bogura, uh, you know, happens to be, uh, uh, particularly, you know, Goborchapa, Ramchandrapur, Kokira, etc. But uh, I think for our audience, you know, I think it would be important to make sense of that this is also a, uh, this is also a region that despite, th- this is also an agriculture, an agrarian, you know, like particularly uh, it has a quite a bit of number of paddy fields, right? And this is where, you know, the story of cows really, really become important. And uh, the main sources of income, as far as even to this date, I think whatever census data uh, that I managed to collect, uh, the main sources of income still remains to be agriculture and uh, paddy cultivation. So, um, which also tells us an interesting uh, story of you know how cows, milk, all of this are related in this jo- particular geography. So I mean, and and uh, and uh, you know, and Bogura also happens to you know, and this is where I mean, my fieldwork actually became interesting um, because of the location of the Rural Development Academy that is there, where I met a fantastic team of dairy scientists who introduced me to. Uh, a, a slightly complex and an interesting story of movements of, you know, cow breeds and all of a uh, cow breeds, quality milk and all of that. Yeah. Sorry. Okay, good. No, that's good. Uh, so we're going to take a short break uh, and we'll be back in just a moment. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new series on Heritage Radio Network called The Culinary Call Sheet, where we give a peek into the back kitchen of culinary media. I'm your host, April Jones. And I'm your co-host, Darren Bresnitz. Part of why we started this show was to offer an unofficial mentorship for anyone who is interested in learning about all aspects of food and video, whether that's TV, social media, online, or just something you want to do for fun. Absolutely. What was once niche or a little silly, as I'm sure you remember, Darren, when we started out. Yes, ma'am. Has now become such a massive playing field for so many creatives using food as the medium. It's something that has driven us professionally and personally for so many years. What excites me the most about this show is that we're going to sit down with some of the industry leaders to hear how they made it and what drew them into this industry. With 20 years in the culinary production game ourselves, we're hoping we can give, through these conversations, an insider's view into personal stories from the field 
as well as an in-depth behind-the-scenes look into some of the most popular food programming in today's evolving culinary media landscape. We'll be covering everything from how to style your food, to how to license IP, to developing your own ideas, and some tips from the masters of how to host your own show. Yeah, it's a little bit of conversation, how to, and how do you do the things that you do in culinary media, which I'm so excited about. I love so many of the guests that are coming on this season. We have talent from Food Network, from Vice Media, Eater, Refinery29. We've met some of the best people in the world, both in front of and behind the camera. And we're bringing them all together to share their stories, their delicious adventure, and their unique journey into this crazy world. So to be the first to hear our episodes when they launch this fall, go to wherever podcasts are streaming and hit subscribe and make sure to give us a follow at the Culinary Call Sheet on Instagram. And we are back. This is Gastronomica on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Krishnan Duray talking with Ishita Day about who owns Bogure Toi, an ethnography of placemaking and craftsmanship in Bangladesh, published in Gastronomica's fall issue of 22.3 that's available uh, right now. Uh, so Ishita, welcome back. Thank you. Uh, in the article, uh, along with written words, uh, uh, there are gorgeous pictures of terracotta uh, uh, bowls, woven bamboo uh, chati, uh, metal kadai, etc. Could you walk us through uh, one of the doi-making workshops you visited? What did you see? What did you hear? What did you smell? Um, the first, uh, you know, smell that uh, that takes you uh, by surprise, particularly in the summer months, because I did the fieldwork in June and July, is uh, both the smell of, you know, sweat and uh, also, uh, you know, boiling milk. Uh, the smell of the, uh, I mean, I, I uh, you know, there are like different smells of, of uh, milk being processed at different stages. You know, the first... Uh, with you know when the milk is full to the brim in the karai it is a different sort of a uh, it's a different sort of a smell i felt and um, what i think i have learned uh, in the fieldwork and i write there you know when one of the workers is boiling the milk um, there is that you know a sound uh, of uh, uh, you know the uh, but the ladder going round in circles, right? And yet it would not, so that, you know, you would not allow the milk cream to settle down, right? And um, this takes a long process. So, you know, it's a complete, you know, like there is this, you know, vessel, like huge vessel, in, uh, you know, the karai that I showed that, that uh, is full with milk. And uh, then, you know, uh, after the boiling stage is over, and I, I thought, you know, this is one sound that, you know, kind of uh, has stayed with me, is the clicking of the tongs, because uh, uh, the workers would carry around the tongs, uh, you know, the clay pots, uh, and would disinfect them. So initially, I was told that it is to disinfect. The clay pots are, you know, burned in that uh, uh, burner in the oven, you know, uh, and uh, but... This is also what lends Bogura Doi a certain uh, taste. And this is this is a sort of a uniqueness around the Bogura Doi that these clay pots are actually left in that, uh, you know, uh, uh, oven for some time 
before the milk is added right and uh, and this is very very you know like it's it's really really very hot you know the the temperature has to be uh, the temperature has to be evenly spread and um, i tried uh, lifting the chhati you know the bamboo uh, the uh, in the, the cane thing that they use the lid that they use constantly to to trap the heat right and it's it's it's, it's very very hot you know and uh, i think in terms terms of you know touch i think the heat of the place you know is something that you know i will um, i will uh, not uh forget right the second is the that's the whiff the smell of the boiling milk and the reduced milk you know um and uh, so yes these are the some of the uh, these are the some of the you know uh, smell touch that you know is remains extremely critical and workers also i know if i may flag here workers also you know are very um cautious of what they call the seed or the starter culture i mean in emic ways they call it the seed but it's a starter culture which is leftover curd from previous yogurt from previous day and good no um good you reminded us in fact that the and intriguing that the first smell you talk about is sweat and that's kind of uh, revealing because part of it of course it also reminds us that milk is a mammalian secretion uh and sweat is that smell of labor that none of these things get made by themselves it is very intensive labor uh in really acute heat uh and a tolerance for temperature and you talk in the in the piece about the workers uh, partly kind of engaging you and even even mocking you a bit as to can you tolerate this heat and which goes into the craftsmanship about it let's get into let's get into the quality of the milk that you spend uh, a substantial section of the piece on uh, you say there is a local discourse of desi dood okay uh, its qualities and characteristics uh, what is what is some of that discourse uh, and how might that relate to the discussion on terroir for instance okay so you know when um uh like one of the things i think uh, that uh, i came across in the field is that uh the the quality of milk that you get here that emphasis on that here ekhane uh the emphasis on this you know was was very very evident across the various workshops and the cardicos that i was meeting and uh, then i kept on asking you know so what is this you know milk you know the indigenous cow breed and this is where i i want to uh draw your attention uh, as i said that you know i made a fantastic group of dairy scientists in the rural development academy uh who actually helped me in understanding what this quality milk was so i was being told that you know it is indigenous uh, milk uh, it is a it, it is uh, milk from the indigenous cow breeds and when i probed a little further i was also told that this breed was actually brought you know this particular breed that everyone was talking about that the deshi goru uh, the uh, the indigenous cow breed actually happened to be sahiwal breed and sahiwal if we look up you know it is a city in the punjab province of pakistan right and um, 
it is here you know the uh, the idea of movement that is why i go back to the idea of terroir from harry west that you know you cannot understand terroir without taking into account uh, the movement of people anim- uh, uh, movement of humans non humans that go into uh, you know that go into claim making around this air is good this milk is good and uh, this doi is good and unique right so sahiwal breed there are various you know myths uh, there are various kind of uh, myths around how sahiwal breed was introduced which i talk about in the essay but uh, what was important what the dairy scientist was talking about was that that sahiwal breed has become so much part of the local cross breeding that what people understand by indigenous cow breed is actually cross bred cows between this once upon a time whoever introduced sahiwal breed and the local varieties of cow so i kept on coming up with this counter argument but no pabna variety of cow is there and then the scientist would tell me well but it is also a cross breed uh, so that interaction of cross breeding is something that i uh, did not think uh, I, i i i had no imagination of this kind of movement uh, from the Punjab province of Pakistan uh, to you know like really i mean between the Punjab province of Pakistan and Rajshahi uh, there is the entire india right and so how did this movement come about you know i mean uh, yeah it, it that that makes it more interesting about uh, this this quality uh, milk and this quality milk uh, construction uh, you use harry west's argument uh, uh, very beautifully there uh, draw, drawing our attention to what you said right now it's that uh, uh, terroir a taste of place and in this case i think they are also talking about taste of the water and the air and of course what the cows uh, eat uh, is both a question of place Uh, and also a question of movement and crossbreeding mm, is a, is a perfect example of how various things from various places have to come together uh, to give a taste uh, of this uh, place uh, excellent uh, <clears throat> do you do you, uh, want to address question a question that would be important for our audience to get that i have not asked you so far um i think i would like to you know also uh, uh you know draw the attention to uh particularly i think uh, the way in which uh, i think the craftsmen you know particularly talk about ekhane dud bhalo and which you point out as well in your question that ekhane this the 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 quality of milk is good but you know there is also our labor that is involved in making this uh, unique product and i think the this act of repetition that comes about day in and day out uh, is something that is that uh, on you know different qualities of milk to produce a taste uh, which is seemingly similar i think that that is quite unique because there are there are days when the milk is slightly off there will be those days right but you know still the workers you know kind of end up producing a similar tasting product from a certain shop so um so that i think remains a, a mystery how and this is where i think the story of labor comes about and in the labor it's the, the stirring and the and the ladling what else is going on there and they are also baking the you said uh, the 
the clay parts, right? Oh, by the way, does that clay part then um, uh, give us a, a taste, a kind of a, a aroma of kind of almost roasted or burnt? Yes. Is it part yes. of the doi? Yes, yes. And I think uh, one of the important part of this particular doi making is that, see, in other part, in the Indian subcontinent, you know, we, we also set doi, you know, in our homes, right? So we boil the milk, we add the starter culture, we close the lid, we keep it in a warm place and it's set. What is unique about Bogura doi is that because the clay pot is baked, right? The, the clay pot will also end up soaking the milk, right? So the, so the constant attention has to be given to, uh, you know, fill the milk, uh, to fill that clay pot with that milk and starter culture. So there's a constant check. And I think uh, the workers, you know, various workshops, you know, with the, uh, I interviewed, you know, they were not, I mean, they said, you know, we keep on checking, but at least they have to fill it twice. So that, you know, um, uh, so that uh, to to also adjust to the fact that you know it's it's soaking up yeah i see so they, they have to add more milk yes. uh, because it's it's soaking into the uh, into the pores yeah. uh, in the yeah. earthen part and by the way uh, to the listeners there are some gorgeous pictures of these uh, clay pots uh, in the article uh, so we should have, uh, uh, the last question here uh, uh, what's the next phase of this project or what's your next project uh, uh, I'm trying to, you know, write up my manuscript, uh, which uh, covers the making of sweets on, uh, as I call, uh, both Epar and Opar. And uh, the main uh, sort of focus in that work is that, you know, how do sweets, how do we understand sweetness in a landscape uh, which has had a history of famine, drought, all of that. I mean, Bengal has had that history, I think. Uh, so, so that is something I'm like wrapping up, and the next project that I am working towards uh, is trying to understand, you know, how do uh, in in this heavy phase of uh, uh, digitization of food delivery services, particularly in the railway networks, how do India's migrant what do India's migrant workers eat? It is at very at a preliminary planning stage. I. I'm still, uh, you know, trying to figure out how to go about it, but it's going to be internal migrant workers and their access to food, uh, food choices. Excellent. That's a very important project. And, uh, uh, and most of uh, many of us may be unaware that the larger, larger migrations in the world are ha- often happening within nation states, uh, uh, in fact, as much as between nation states. So thank you, Ishida, for joining us. And uh, listeners can read the full piece in Gastronomica. For that, visit gastronomica.org. Join us this fall as we talk with authors uh, from our fall 2022 issue, now available online. Thank you. The Gastronomica podcast is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.